0: Welcome to the Wage Indicator podcast, a podcast where we highlight developments, best practices, events, research, and more on global issues on the gig economy. My name is Martijn Aretz and I am your host today. For this episode, I traveled by train to Munich in Germany, where I talked to Marcus, the founder of Crowdwork platform Tetherbird. Marcus was in 2015 one of the founders of the Crowdsourcing Code, a code of conduct signed by eight Crowdwork platforms and the labor union to improve the conditions for the worker. In the next 30 minutes, we talk about the idea, how the idea came to life, the impact of the Code of Conduct, and the lessons learned that others can use when they want to start a similar project. To conclude, I share my lessons and thoughts on these cases. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Also, check our weekly newsletter and online webinars on the global gig economy. You will find the links in the show notes. Here we go.
1: My name is Marcus. I'm one of the co-founders here at Testbirds, and I'm responsible for our operations. So that includes project management, working with clients and our tester community, our crowd workers, and also our product and service portfolio. And what is word for a, for a company? Well, we're what we call a crowd testing company. So we test all kinds of digital products like apps and websites, but also IoT devices and connected home devices and so on with a crowd testing approach or crowd working approach. So we have a large community of testers worldwide, roughly 1 million people signed up on our platform and they basically get invited to these tests based on uh, devices they have or demographic criteria or location and so on. In 2015, you came up with the, the crowdsourcing
0: code, which is a code of conduct for, for crowd work platforms. Can you give me some more information about the context of this period, so when this idea was born?
1: Mm-hmm. So we started in 2011. This was a couple of years after we got started. And we noticed that at that point in time, there was quite often a bit of negative press about crowd working. It wasn't very known back then, so it was quite new. And we felt like... Yeah, there's a tendency to say, oh, this is somehow bad or dangerous or, or, you know, things like that. And also at that point, some of the workers unions here in Germany, one of them especially, they published a paper saying, okay, crowdworking is going to destroy f- jobs and, you know, we need to be careful. And that's why we decided to do something about that, because in our point of view, it has certain risks, sure, but it's inherently not bad. It has a lot of positive aspects to it. So... We organized a roundtable event here in Munich in 2014, where we tried to put together some other crowd-working companies. It was like an ideation platform back then, also here from Munich. We invited some some researchers from university. We also invited the workers' unions, but back then they, were, they didn't want to participate yet. And we got together and we were just discussing kind of work and how modern work and the challenges and crowd-working as one of the... the, the yeah, the developments especially. And the outcome of that roundtable was that we felt like we're already doing some things the way we just do them, but we don't tell anyone about it. So we decided to put together these 10 statements or these 10 things that are now in the code of conduct. And we invited some of the other platforms that we knew, especially from Germany back then, to to sign and to work with us on this code of conduct and to kind of commit to these Statements about different things that affected the working conditions for, for crowd workers.
0: And what was the reason for platforms to join?
1: I think it was back then also very similar because everyone felt like it's a positive thing, but it's not necessarily seen that way. And so we didn't really have a hard time finding other companies to to sign it. I think initially it was four or five. Plus also we have in Germany something called the German Crowdsourcing Union also participated And yeah, actually since then, we quite often receive requests to to join the Code of Conduct. And back then we didn't have a process for it, but by now there is one. And yeah, so it's gone quite well. And how does this process look like if a platform wants to join? Since the first version, a couple of things happened. So we reworked the Code of Conduct a little bit a couple of years later. And we also got the, especially the IG Metall, which is one of the biggest workers' unions, to... They also showed interest and then we got together and since then once or twice a year we got together with all of the signees and the IG Metall and we discuss crowd working and when a company is interested to join they usually approach us maybe because they've seen that we initiated it or also someone else from the from the group and then a couple of things happen. so we have something like a committee within that group and they look at Is it a general match from like the business model? Because it doesn't have any delivery models in there, for example, because we felt like it's too different business model wise. And we would have to almost create a second code of conduct because different things apply to delivery models than it apply to the companies that we have at the moment. Like, you know, what happens with your bike and and insurance topics and so on. So we're focused only on a certain maybe subset of Crowdworking models and companies so includes us of course like testing we also have some gig work in there some but also some content creation platform that have like text creation topics so we check the business model then we also check the terms and conditions what they look like this is what like also fair work and some of these initiatives are doing and then we are also trying to do a survey in the community of that platform uh, that includes some questions about the working conditions and, and so on and then after that there's a decision whether we approve basically the, the application
0: yeah. at what way is the voice of the worker here also included and you all you, you already mentioned uh, within the process of looking if a platform uh, does or not fits to the code but also maybe in other ways so like are the workers are also were they also involved with creating the 10 principles that you are representing
1: good question yeah Initially, no, to be honest. So they came mostly from us or the companies signing it, saying, okay, this is what we feel we want to commit to. The crowd wasn't really involved there, but they're now involved, especially in, we have something called an ombuds office that was initiated, don't remember, maybe in 2017 or 18 or something like that. So if a crowd worker has an issue with one of the platforms that have signed the code of conduct and they feel like they cannot resolve that issue with the platform, they can approach this ombuds office. And this is again like a, a group that is led by a judge that does this on a, a voluntary basis or on a pro bono basis. And then we have one representative from a platform. We have one representative from the crowd. It's like a crowd worker from one of the platforms. And we have from the workers union and from the crowdsourcing association so it's this group of five people and there we have one crowd worker and one platform representative and they would look at cases that are being submitted can be different things like i'm not getting paid or i was treated unfairly things like that and then they identify whether it's something that they can tackle and if yes they try to mediate between the platform and the crowd worker and try to come to a solution
0: and I read that that there because you, already, you also have a yearly report on, uh, of this uh, of this commission. I read there from now more. I read there now also over one hundred uh, cases being discussed. So can you go maybe a bit more in depth on on what kind of cases there are and also what the results are? Just maybe also with some examples.
1: Yeah. I'm- I'll try. I'm not actually a part of the committee, so I, I also know only know what we then discuss in the in the sessions afterwards. So but I think there's two different categories of cases. One is a case where that just needs to be resolved. So there was a miscommunication or you know, something didn't work out and then you just come to a but nothing else happens. So I don't know, there was a delay in payment and then that can be resolved. There are some other cases where it's more of a, a general, that triggers a bit of more of a general discussion. So usually the, the Ombuds Office, they also hand out a recommendation then to whoever is involved. And this might then, based on this single case, be a, a broader topic, like maybe it would be good to change this practice in your platform like i don't know how often you do payouts or how you communicate certain guidelines that you have to your community or things like that maybe it would make sense to change that in general and then this goes into kind of a list of general recommendations that the the office has had in the past that probably apply to also sort of different Company is not only that, that single one, it's maybe a kind of a best practice list, if you will. And that's something that's then being discussed also in this group when we meet once or twice a year.
0: So, also the output of the, the Ombudscelle is also discussed within the group of platform founders to see, okay, how can we also make our processes better so you also use it as a kind of a feedback tool for your processes. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the principles is also about fair payment. And I read somewhere online that said that this was also by far the most important principle in the code, according to the to the workers in a in survey. At what way is fair payment put into practice? Because it's a quite popular topic, but also a quite broad topic. So at what way do you also think with the code that you can ask platforms to adopt the fair payment principle?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's also a very tricky one because what is fair payment, right? There's a lot of... Um, criteria that need to be considered. There's like the location, the type of work that's being done. Is it employment or is it freelance work and these kinds of things. So the the definition in the code of conduct is also pretty broad, right? It, It just says that we are... I believe if I can try to quote it, something like a fair payment according to the standards in the respective country or something like that. And we were also discussing back and forth if we should put in something like minimum wage and things like that. We haven't done that so far. We as as test birds, we would try to pay above minimum wage, but it always depends on the job and we don't track time of people. And so we don't know someone worked for one hour or eight hours. We just know the, the output that someone will create, and we try to estimate how long that roughly takes. So do we think it takes an hour or two? But in practice, some testers will take an hour, some testers will maybe even take three hours to do it because they might have some technical difficulties or whatever. And then it also depends on the country and the target group that we're looking for. At the moment at TestBirds, we don't distinguish a lot between, I don't know, a test in Germany and a test in, for example, South America or Eastern Europe or wherever. So the differences in maybe the, the local rates or the level of your remuneration aren't really considered that much for us. But some of the other platforms, they pay based on the amount of text that has been produced. Or if you have to go like for these gig work jobs, if you go to a certain location, you get a certain amount for taking a photo of, I don't know, that store window or an item in the store, things like that. And for us, it's important that in total... Uh, as a crowd worker, I get to a, a fair amount. For example, in an hour of time that I spend in doing that work, and that work can also include maybe getting to the location or preparing the the work. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a tricky topic because I would even say you know within our own company, the employees that we have, not everyone necessarily thinks that they're being paid fairly. Always, it's always a challenge. And when so now when workers have a question or have a case,
0: mm-hmm. they're first being asked, okay, try first to fix with the platform itself, which I think is quite good. And then as a second chance, and then the ombudseller is there. Do you also, because this this is really a kind of a, a, we'll wait until until somebody comes. Is there also a more proactive way, like with yearly questionnaires, where you also do some research on, okay, so what are the conditions for the platform workers? Are they happy? What are their biggest challenges or or worries or whatever? So you can also have a more proactive approach of building this code of conduct.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've also, we've done surveys in the past where we ask these questions like, you know, how satisfied are you with with basically us as a as a platform in different areas like pay but also you know how do we work together how's communication going we also sometimes i mean we're testing digital products so for example we have an app for our testers we also test that app with our testers and they give feedback on you know features that they might want in the future and, and things like that so i would say there's there's a there's a continuous feedback loop because we have certain channels where people can just, you know, send emails or feedback via the platform and then sometimes we have a more general approach with a, with a survey, for example, once a year where we ask the the bigger questions.
0: But is we's more test birds, not not a group of crowdsourcing code members.
1: Yeah, so this would be based on the individual platforms, yes, yeah, so and not it's not across all of the assignees.
0: Yeah. And when platforms uh, subscribe as a member of the Crowdfunding Code, are they also obliged to, let's say, in communication, take it take it with them uh, to their to their workers or to do promotion or collective research or whatever? Because there's also always a challenge that these kind of agreements will end up like a, just say it's really practical, as a public affairs. So at what way do you also make sure that platforms also really, really contributes to the whole and not only use it as a nice PR tool?
1: Generally, it's, it's all based on, on self-commitment of the platform. So there isn't, in, in this regard, but also in general, there isn't a strong, what we would call it, like a check or a management that everything is being adhered to or, or applied. So we trust that if someone says, I, I commit to these things, that the, the, the platform also does it. And then the way we would maybe identify that this is not happening is then through the Ombuds Office, where if a lot of people complain, which hasn't really been the case yet, but this would be kind of a point where we have to pay attention and say okay let's look maybe a bit more closely into into what they're doing and yes it it can actually be a challenge that the the platform workers don't even know about the code of conduct or the ombuds office we just encourage everyone to place it at the appropriate places in the into the platform so typically this would be in the faqs um, or on the blog or social media articles that someone has, where people go and try to find information. So in our case, it's it's a place in the FAQ section in the in the platform.
0: Yesterday, when I arrived here or went by train from Houten, where I live to, to to Munich, I also checked the website and I only saw with testbirds birds. You're really good in 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 communicating about the codes. Clickworker promotes the ombudscellen but with the other platforms I didn't see any link to the crowdsourcing code. How does the union, because the uh, IG Metal uh, they are from almost from start also part of this uh, and they're also one of the five members of the ombudscellen. So can you maybe describe more about um, first how how you got them on board but also what they think from your experience is is impossible in contributing in this in this code of conduct
1: yeah so I mean, they actually, I don't remember exactly, it was a long time ago, but at some point they and also some other workers' units, they um, realized that this is something that's, you know, growing and growing and it's it's becoming relevant also for us as a a union. And in the case of IG Metall, they have their own... don't know if we call it department or their own task force and people responsible for also this topic. And they, they got in touch. We did a second round table <clears throat> for the second version of the code of conduct. And they also, they participated. And since then it has just kind of become a continuous exchange. On the one hand, it's a, it's a relevant market for them when we talk about freelancers and they also have their own section of freelancers as the workers union. So that's where the connection is regarding the kind of the, what, what they're doing, but also It has been quite nice to exchange views on work and on freelance work and and what's important. And views might not always be the same, which is maybe also natural. But I think there's a common ground, at least, that we can build things on. So I would say it has been quite productive. And also, you know, there's different events and things that are happening always around this topic. And we were able to also share a lot of not only knowledge, but also contacts, for example, in the industry.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a really good point because I also read somewhere a quote from, from the union that they say, okay, that they really endorse the self-regulatory f- effort, but still don't say we agree on the way the contract is, is, be- is being realized, which is, I think, fine, because you can always say, okay, we're not agree on anything and then just stop communicating and start suing. Uh, or you can say, okay, we agree to disagree on some topics, but we're going to see on what topics can we work together in the end to improve the conditions of the worker
1: i mean this is the goal right this is sometimes also a bit of a misconception maybe because for us the crowd is our main asset it's the core of our business model and it's much more important to get new people on board and train them and what needs to be done and then have them and test them to just stick with the existing community so it's very much in our interest to have a kind of a happy community, and the only way we can achieve that is by, you know, trying to do our best when it comes to not only pay but also how we communicate with people. And, and there's a lot of emphasis on that. And this is the background. It's it's not just purely out of good heart. You know, it's also because it's very important from a from a business point of view. And I feel like sometimes this point is. Mm, portrait a little bit differently and i'm also not saying that's the case for all companies in the world there's you know there's always differences but i would say for a lot of the crowd working companies even from just a purely economical point of view it makes sense to treat the crowd well because otherwise you're going to invest so much time in retaining and and re-recruiting the community that it's just too expensive
0: agree and that's fully and now also for the for the last part of questions, the about this phase we're in right now, and also looking back, because the crowdsourcing the crosswatching code, when was it started in 2015? 15, yeah, 15. So that's that's 80 years ago. So time flies. How do you say relevance? Because you mentioned before, okay, we had a round table, and then there was energy, and we started. Everybody was enthusiastic. The in the end, the labor union uh, they, they joined. So that was a kind of a, a, a good momentum. But then and same also with your startup, you have the first phase and then the boring part start by, OK, how to continue, grow and also how to secure it for the future. What are your lessons also in, in that and also lessons for others? Because in many times people start with great, great efforts. It's really hard to yeah, keep it relevant for a longer period than one or two years. What were your your struggles in that and, and also what were the things you learned about uh, and also maybe some some wishes uh, you had uh, so if you had started again what you would uh, do would do different with
1: this specifically with the code of conduct yes yeah it's a, it's a good question because mm, it's an important topic but it's also not the most pressing topic you know we have daily business going on there's always a lot of things so it's something that kind of happens on the side and you continuously need to kind of you know invest time in it even though the impact might not be obvious immediately it's still important. So this is also the reason why I think by now, probably if we would have invested more time, it could the impact could have been bigger. It, we could have more companies assignees. We could be more widely known. We maybe could have made another revision of it already. So there's some things that we have in the kind of the backlog we want to do, but we haven't really gotten around to doing it. And it also needs commitment from everyone, right? And not only one, one party. I think with the current setup that we have, I'm quite happy because it's it's a regular thing. And we take steps moving forward, but we don't take giant steps because that would need more time and, and commitment and maybe also commercializing the, the whole thing. So in the past, we've talked again and again about maybe certain fees to uh, participate or how we can organize it in a more commercial way so we also have the time and resources to do it more but the decision so far was to keep it as a kind of as a voluntary thing that we invest our time in but don't commercialize it this could be a potential next step but so far we haven't taken that
0: and you also see there place for other institutions because what you just said, and which is totally something that I also recognize, is that it's not part of your daily business because you also have a company to run. So it's it's really easy that priorities are, are, are differing day by day and then probably the crowdsourcing code is not in the top three of, of priorities, which is totally understandable. Are there always ways where you can think about that such initiative can maybe really start at the bottom-up, in this case by by platforms and also with the, with the, the union in later states, and then being adopted by a, another kind of maybe a union or maybe something like the employment service or whatever to secure it, also to keep it all also more independent, but also to give it the energy that it des- deserved. So with that, you can also uh, make your impact bigger because I think, yeah, uh, the challenge is with the lack of time there's also a scarcity in the ambitions you can have.
1: Yeah, that's true. I can only speak for myself now, so this is now not representing the the group of signees, but generally I would be open to discussing such opportunities and say, okay, you know, someone wants to take it to the next level and how would that look like? We've even had cases in the past where the, the model was adopted also by other associations in other countries, so I've had someone here from, I believe it was Japan, some researchers, they were kind of looking at the model and how that could be applied to some companies in, in Japan and also in Austria. I believe they there was some exchange going on and they, at least at some point, I don't know the current status, they were trying to come up with their own version of the code of conduct. So these kinds of things happened, but not in a way that it was, you know, the existing code of conduct was kind of taken over is maybe not the right word, but, you know, handed over to to the next Business model setup or something like that yeah yeah, so
0: that would be something uh, that would be interesting to uh, to explore, and also maybe for for the listeners also a a a question so if you have any ideas about that so just send an email to to one of us, and we'll go further on that because I really believe that there there's also a responsibility of all stakeholders to get the benefit out of this, and it's good that this was started by the founders of this initiative. But I think there's also a responsibility and role for others also to, to join this in the end to make it, yeah, to make it work better for the, for the worker.
1: Definitely, yeah. Okay,
0: so thank you very much for the interview.
1: Thank you. It was very nice to have a chat. Good.
0: I think the crowdsourcing code is a fascinating case that was worth for this deep dive. So what can we learn from this case? First, that it's possible for platforms to collaborate, as long as there is a common interest. Second, it's possible for unions to take a broader approach on we agree to disagree on certain points. I really like that. I also like the collaboration with the Ombudstelle, the independent body with five different stakeholders. What I missed in this project is the ambition. There was so much more possible first, the 10 principles, they didn't evolve over the years. I checked the internet archive and it was still the same for the last years. Also, for platforms to participate, there was no any obligation. It was really on a voluntary basis. I think a more accountable uh, strategy would make it much stronger. So if you look now at the websites of the participating platforms, only two out of eight, they refer to the Ombudstelle. And only one platform experts, they're promoting the code of conduct on their website. I think that's when we add more public stakeholders to this movement, like governments, employment agencies, and academic researcher, the code of conduct could be much more stronger. I think in the end, this shows that when bottom-up initiatives are setting up, it's a responsibility from all stakeholders to work on the continuity of it. In the end, I think The crowdsourcing course is a really interesting case where we can learn a lot from and also can inspire others to take a similar approach. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Also check our weekly newsletter and online webinars on the global gig economy. You will find the links in the show notes. See you next time.